This episode of Ben the Knee is brought to you by our bannermen, Lord Jason of House Ross, Sir Jimmy of House Nuts, Master of the Web, Lady Dawn of House Wright, Sir Chris of House Farber, Lady Tracy of House Fa, Sir Peter of House Whittingham, Sandy the Dragon, Blood of Queen Daenerys and Lady of Jameson, Lord John of House Fry, Lady Juliana of House Stradley, Sir David of House Fraser, Lady Liz of House Hendricks, Sir Matthew of House Perry, Lady Madeline of House Fritzel, Lady Adrian of House Dillard, Lady Ashley of House Gardner, Lady Lismalin of House Morales. This episode of Ben the Knee is protected by Sir Ryan of House Turbush, Lady Sarah the Unraveler. Our current champion is Lady Kira of House Arnold. Our current Master of Coin is Lord Jason of House Ross. Squire to Sir Matt, Lady Betsy of House Hudson. Hello and welcome to Bend the Knee, a Song of Ice and Fire podcast. I am Sir Matt, the Bud Knight. And I am Sir Ezra, the Watchful. Welcome to our Song of Ice and Fire book club. Today we're into John 6 of A Clash of Kings. And our raven today, we will be discussing the Targaryen bloodline and is it worth it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> As uh, we did two videos, uh, we haven't posted them just yet, but we did two videos talking about the big news... George R. Martin has signed a reportedly mid-eight-figure deal, which to me sounds like $50 million. That's what mid-eight figures is. Uh Um, And it's a five-year deal, so probably $10 million a year to be sort of a consultant creator for all these new upcoming Game of Thrones shows. Wow. So... It sounds like we're getting the Westeros verse or the Game of Thrones verse or whatever. Uh, I say bring it on. You know, first we thought it was mm-hmm. just House of the Dragon. Uh, and, and then they're telling us, well, maybe, you know, we're going to do this. I mean, Dunkin' Egg series for a second. They toss out possibly rumored Robert's Rebellion. Uh, maybe not so sure about that. We, we, we roll back and it's Corliss Valerion, possibly Nymeria, Flea Bottom and, and so on. I think it's cool. I think now, I mean, let's do it. Let's have all the shows. Let's make them connected. Let's make characters. I like the idea of them being in the same kind of happening at the same time or all being relevant and mattering to each other. That would be kind of cool. I don't know if that's what they're going to do, but um, that would be interesting to see. And hey, if you're going to pay this guy this much money, I'm thinking this is, it's, you know, there's got to be a lot big. coming. These rumors have got to be true. Then all these shows are, are in production and, and we're working on these big ideas. So I'm, I'm down. I am too. Sounds great to me. I mean, uh, what it means for Winds of Winter, who knows? Um, you know, we talked about this in our video. Uh, best thing I can say is that it's unlike the show where he felt like he was racing against it because none of this has none of this is going to be Winds of Winter area. It's all going to be before that. Um, and everything. So that in itself should be pretty cool. And I guess we can ultimately see where we go, you know, from there. I'll throw out one, one teaser for folks. If you haven't gone to the YouTube channel yet and subscribed, I don't even know what's, what's going on with you right now. If you Mm -hmm. haven't done that yet, but uh, I'll give you one bone here. There's this thing, uh, out there called 
uh, the Zack Snyder Justice League cut. Okay, Zack Snyder mm-hmm. cut. We might mention maybe a George R. R. Martin cut of a certain mm-hmm. series. All right, so go check it out. Go listen to it. It's true. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. So we we talked about that, and who knows? It's the same company. It's the same parent company, AT and T. You know, Warner Media. Yeah. Is is the same parent company that just gave Zack Snyder seventy million dollars because the fan said we didn't like Justice League. We heard there's a better version of it. Mm-hmm. Well, it's the same company that might say, "Hey, people didn't like this season eight. I think we should uh, do a season nine, or maybe just a movie <laughs> like they did with Deadwood. Deadwood was uh-huh. off the air for years, and they said, you know what? We can do a standalone sort of HBO Max movie. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of story that could be told post season eight. Uh-huh. What are you doing? Just sailing around. Yeah. King what, Brand." Yeah. Can King Brand go back in time and Flashpoint reboot this whole thing, right? King Just like we have Brand. In the, in, the Flash, in the Flash universe. Who knows, man? What a story. Snow, what if they just call it King in the North? Game of Thrones, King in the North. And it's a story about Jon. Oh, he's I, living up there and he's got to go to war with who knows yeah, what. Yeah. I mean, Would you the, watch it? Sign Kit Harrington for a, a standalone movie. Yes. Yes, I'd watch it. Oh my! So would everyone else? Because I, the stat that I looked up on, on the video we did was that there was like five hundred and one or something, some odd amount, five hundred million dollars uh, was generated just by Jon Snow, Kit Harington, be being on screen. Like his character alone was bringing in this. The I don't know how they how they calculate all of that, but I mean, total screen uh, time. It's crazy. It's crazy. I think it's just sick, and it would be awesome. I'm all for it. Some people are rejoicing at this news. Others are crying, and some are saying this is just par for the course. So it is what it is, you know? Uh, I, I don't know what it means for Winds of Winter. I have no idea. I think it's done. I've always said, uh, stick around, folks. It's coming. It will come out at, at some point in the next decade. So yeah. hold on. We'll see. We'll see. I'm just saying, I don't be surprised if we start getting standalone character movies that are on like hbo max exclusive mm-hmm. content do not be surprised so yeah i'm just saying i'm just saying i'd be down okay yeah i'm all for it i'm all for mm-hmm. it okay yeah. all right as uh before we move into today's chapter just something for fun here um we're recording this on monday uh speaking of hbo max there is a movie coming out in a couple days. I thought it'd be fun if you and I just made some predictions. As we are knights of the realm, there are two kings that are going to battle. Uh-huh. Okay, There yeah. is Godzilla, the uh-huh. quote-unquote king of the monsters. And then there is King Kong. Wow. Uh, wow. Which king wins? Uh, well, I, I mean, you know, you've got Godzilla. We've got a god versus a king okay can this king you know fight a god and win my friend i i i rumor has it he bows to no one that's what i'm saying (laughs) i i don't i don't i as in the faceless gods he bows to no one no one that's who he bows to (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh king kong man i don't know i i i gosh Go I go Kong, you know, go King Kong. Although I did, ha- I never had like a. I actually had a couple Godzilla like 
figures back in the day, but he was always the bad guy. You know, I always had my guys down there, my little tiny action figures fighting uh, Godzilla, and, you know, I just don't, I don't know. Look, I'm just going to say, I looked at the runtime for this movie. It's roughly an hour and 57 minutes, which I find incredibly surprising because it should really only take King Kong around 10 minutes to kick Godzilla's ass. Right. Right. I mean, first and foremost, King Kong has thumbs. Okay. He's got thumbs. He can grab things. You know, Godzilla is this like, you know, monster. He walks around. I'm out. King Kong's American. (laughs) Okay. He's, 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 he's American. People are like, he's from Skull Island. Okay. But. (laughs) <laughs> His origin, he was he's written, he's an American creation. Godzilla is a Japanese creation. I gotta root for I gotta root for Kong. Uh, uh, well, well, I I he's I our character, didn't, man. You know, I didn't and know he goes that. to New York. Right. He's on the True. tower. True that it was. Yeah. He's yeah, we he came in. Now is he here legally? I can't say that. Oh my god! But he Jeezy was here. Cow. Okay. What in the hell? <laughs> <laughs> Seven hells, guys. Uh, oh, like, God, yeah. that was strong. Then. God, yes, yeah. Is that what Godzilla's gonna be saying uh, when he gets his ass? He is when oh, King Kong's sta- standing on his chest, proclaiming that he won. He's got an axe. You he's know, like, the thing- he's literally like our Robert Baratheon. Right. Right. The, the thing is. There's a lot of I wasn't really this interested in this movie until I started seeing some of the theories out there that things might not be the way we think they are. Right. There are things might go. There might be a big old twist to Ruski in here. So I'm all for that. I'm all I'm all for that. And so I'm intrigued. I'm definitely intrigued to see, you know, how this how, how this goes. Uh, it's going to be Batman versus Superman all over again. You know, they're going to. Right. Batman, you know, beats the crap out of Superman, almost kills him, then decides he shouldn't because they share the same mother. Is Kong, do Kong and Godzilla, <laughs> are they from the same? I mean, <laughs> Mothra. What? Holy cow. It's kind of like Martha, but we'll see. I don't know. But hey, as an I, as an I, that's what we could do. We get to weigh in on any sort of kingly dispute. You know, it's like, do we yeah. prefer the Dairy Queen or the Burger King? Right, right. Well, I'm allies with Burger King, so wow. We used to talk about that all the time. That used, used to be to. a big, a big deal on this podcast. Is is which which land were we con- were, you know trying to conquer, or who mm-hmm. were we pledging our loyalties to? That Are there day. any other? We have White Castle. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Trash cat. I mean, that's uh, trash Ooh. capital. I mean, it's terrible. That will kill you. That food will kill you. It will kill you. Uh, <laughs> We used to get that on the nights where we had one too many ales, you know, out there serving the realm. <laughs> we would, we would, we when we started this podcast, and as and I lived, as and I were roommates, we would, uh, maybe drive over right, right over to DQ. Oh yeah, <laughs> the Dairy Queen, dude. I'll tell you what, they've got really good um, chicken strips. The chick chicken strip basket there. I know it's not chicken, but I don't care. Because right. it's just so good. You get some ranch dipping sauce. The I mean, barbecue's look, good. I'm just saying, Dairy Queen should sponsor us. I would, I would, I would, I would promote them. I'd eat it every day on the podcast if they'd sponsor us. Yeah, absolutely. Try me. Yeah. Blizzards. I mean, it's literally the perfect. The winds. It's the Dairy Queen. <laughs> it's the winds of winter. The blizzards. Wow. Let me, uh, let me tell you that Heath Bar Blizzard. Oh, dude, it's one of the best. One of the best. It's, now, why do they do the they they turn it upside down? Uh, I it's it's just a demonstration of their power, you know, like that 
you know, it's all, it's still cold. It's fresh. I don't know. I don't know. You know, <laughs> I, why do they do that? Secret. <laughs> uh, it is a little scary. The first time, like, like the first time that happened to me, they, they hold out the window and I put my hands underneath it. Like, oh shoot, dude. You know, Jesus <laughs> Christ, man. Don't drop any of that. <laughs> Oh god! Have you seen the TikToks where people? Well, I'll skip it. Whatever. But the anyway, the TikToks where people are like acting like they're going to Dairy Queen for the first time. They like, they act like <laughs> no, like, really. I don't know what the hell's, what the hell's going oh. on? Here. So like when they hand them their card, they like turn their hand over and like, okay, here you go. Like, dude, remember? I mean, I'm sorry, guys. As we as we kind of uh, you know go down a rabbit hole here. Remember the days when we used to? Re- Does anybody still remember the days of second second breakfast on this very feed? Hey, Holy smoke! Well, it's man. A, it's it's gonna get pushed out of the out of the iTunes feed. It's so about you, you to be to go to it. very close. But you know what we did there? We we did some season seven Game of Thrones reviews are still yes. up there, yep. initial reactions, and then also we did Dunkin' Egg. We did the full Dunkin' Egg thing. That's right, we did. That's right. Wow. Yeah, our lit review there. series. Wow. Mm-hmm. Interpretive fan fiction. That was fun. <sighs> wow, how we've changed. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Crazy time. Oh, all right, guys. Well, with that, let's dive into the chapter for today, which is chapter 51, John 6 of A Clash of Kings. As Corrin Halfhand's party moves through the Skirling Pass, they note watchers high up in the pass. Corrin sends Snow- Stone Snake and John to dispatch the watchers, and they are warned not to let them sound a horn. Stone Snake teaches John how to climb a sheer cliff face as they eventually reach the top above the wildlings. There are three. After killing two, the third turns out to be a woman, Egret. She yields to them, and John takes her captive, despite Stone Snake's warning that she should be killed. When she learns that John is a bastard son of a Stark Lord, she tells him the wildling story of Bale the Bard. Supposedly, before he joined the Free Folk, he was a raider, or according, according to Stonesnake, a murderer and robber. Lord Brandon Stark wanted Bale's head, but was never successful in capturing the bandit. To teach the Lord a lesson, Bale slipped into Winterfell, calling himself Bard Seagrick. Uh, which means deceiver in the old tongue of the first men, when the watch, uh, which the giants still speak. In return for his performance, he requested the fairest flower in Winterfell, and the Lord gave him the rare winter rose. That's the blue rose, right? That was so commonly associated with Lyanna Stark. In the morning, the singer was gone along uh, with Lord Brandon's daughter. A year later, the Lord's daughter was found in her bedchamber with a young baby. Bale had hidden her near the crypts of Winterfell. Thirty years later, when Bale was king beyond the wall and led the wildling south, it was his son, the new Stark Lord, who slew Bale, since the bard would not harm his son. Upon returning home, the young lord's mother killed herself when she found out Bale was dead. The young lord was said to have eventually been killed by one of his bannermen. John does not believe the story, which claims that the blood of the Starks and the Wildlings is the same. When Corrin and the others arrive, Ygret recognizes the Halfhand and confirms that the Wildlings would kill him if he yielded. Corrin's men state that she should be killed, and Corrin leaves John alone with Ygret to carry out the task. Ygret tells John that Mance Raider would accept him if he ran off with her. John, about to behead her, finally stops himself and tells her to run. Yep. 
Yeah. So some sort of immediate big takeaways. Now, if you remember the last chapter we did, we did a Hodor episode last time, but the last chapter we did was the Theon chapter in which we were talking about the potential of Theon actually kind of being a kinslayer, right? Uh And maybe that the boys that he he will end up um, burning that he thinks are just the the miller's the the miller's wife writes sons um some of that uh there's theories that those are actually theon's sons because he says well i've taken her around for a, t- a time or two and you know in this chapter there is that line which we referenced in that chapter uh, where they're talking about how kin slang is bad even if you don't necessarily know it's yours so that is sort of something to kind of think about in carrying over um so the Bale of the Bard story is one that will come up over and over again, and it's sort of big, obvious uh, <laughs> tinfoil uh, hat, you know, I mean, or most or most obvious theory ever, is that it ties in directly to John and potentially being R plus L, Rhaegar plus Lyanna, mm-hmm. equaling John. It is Ygret that is telling John this story about the fairest flower in Winterfell, which is the blue rose, which is commonly mm-hmm. associated with Lyanna, and he and mm-hmm. Ygritte is telling this to Jon. Um, you know, and then a lot of this oh, he's, he's the, the Stark Lord, and was was the daughter, he did it for love, and all of these things just go so hand in hand with R plus L equals J. There are too many connections going on here. All right? There's a connection between Rhaegar and this story. There's a connection between Mance Raider and this story later on, much later on. Uh, all of the wildling people connected here. John and the Starks connected. Uh, the Boltons, ironically, are connected. And through the pink letter, actually, a comp- like at the end of that Bail the Bard story, uh, we know that one of the not so, I don't know, happy aspects of it is that that Lord Stark was killed, right, by one of the Boltons. And we have, Mm -hmm. I mean, supposedly a bastard Stark who was killed. Bastard's blood is running through the Stark family like crazy. Uh, And we maybe, you know, so the the irony is is that that John could be true born and with some secret marriage not be a bastard and all of his, you know, brothers and sisters are... You know, like descended from a line of a bastard Stark uh, from, you know, Bale the Bard from beyond the wall. It's just kind of, if that's true, if you take everything that Egret says as being true. You know, just too many, too many connections to Rhaegar, uh, Mance, John, uh, the Boltons. Too much stuff happening here. The story's being told to John by Egret as well. So you take that into account. It's not a story that's being told somewhere else in a different you know, part of this story. It's it, there's a reason it's told here, and as you said, there's a reason that this chapter is placed next to the Theon chapter to kind of ampl- amplify the kinslaying aspect of it. So, yeah, it's just it's it's very intriguing. You know, it's it's one of those things that has people has your head kind of spinning as to what what are all the connections and and why are there so many parallels? Like, is 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 Rhaegar really just trying to? parallel this story i mean he plays and sings so beautifully right mance does as well 
and actually then becomes a bard and go, you know, sneaks into Winterfell later and has done so before. I mean, it's just, it's nuts. And I'll make another connection. Let me just keep going here. So one of the characters in this story is, or this chapter is very interesting. His name is Stone Snake. All right. Stone Snake. Of all the rangers, so we always talk about Corn Half Hand and all of these, you know, Squire Dolbridge. By the way, Squire Dolbridge, who was a squire to a king. My friend, the only other king, if he wasn't squire to Robert Baratheon, he was squire to a Targaryen king. So Squire Dolbridge and Stone Snake and Corn Half Hand are Targaryen loyalists, born in, I think, uh, 253 or 250 is Stone. Uh, I think Stone Snake is born mm-hmm. around there. Rhaegar is born in 259, so Stone Snake is just a I don't know five six years give or take. You know, older than Rhaegar could have been one of his good friends at court. Could have been a real strong Targaryen loyalist who was then sent. Uh, I mean, they all they don't really the one that we know the most about. Um. Oh my god, and I just forgot his name. I just I just blanked. Oh fudge. What's his name? The, uh, no, no. Oh well, that's a good one. That's one of his friends, that's for sure. We know that he's he's more of a friend, best friend, actually. Um God dang it. What's his he's a, he's a dick? Dane? He's a, no, he's an absolute he's an absolute jerk to uh, people are gonna be like, can't believe you forgot his name. Uh to Jon Snow when he shows up, calls him bastard. What oh, Alistair Thorne. Alistair Thorne. Alistair yeah. Thorne. Holy smokes, could not think of his name. It happens right. sometimes. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> Alistair Thorne, um, he is one of those guys who we do know is a Targaryen loyalist, right? We know that he supported the family and things. And but let me get a quick check on his uh, age, actually. And it's interesting that these that he's separate from these guys, right? He's separate from this batch, Corrin's men, mm-hmm. uh, and so on. Yeah, he's actually born in two forty seven AC. So, so he's younger. Than, yeah. Oh, no, a little he's bit older. A little older. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so Stone, uh, Stone Snake's a little bit younger. And so, again, but anyways, the idea is he's there around the same age uh, as Rhaegar, which I just think is is highly interesting because we just made all those Rhaegar connections with Bale, uh, the bard, and the, and, and the story, and Winterfell directly, and the Roses, and the tourney at Harrenhal. I mean, it just, the connections just kind of go on and on and on. And you're like, wow, you know, this is, there's no wonder people think that Mance is, is is Rhaegar or Corn Half you know. and is Arthur Dane is a yeah. big common one. I, there's a lot. There are a lot of these characters that oh man, when you should really start thinking about it, you know, if you want to go down that route. <clears throat> now Stone Stake himself is also pretty interesting as because um he doesn't he's not in, he's not in the book much. Um but he is he is in this group with Corn Halfhand and Eben and Squire Dalbridge as you said. Mm-hmm. Uh and they're all going now um you know, what ends up happening is, as we'll see in the next chapter, Egret runs, right? That's a whole big deal. And then Corrin and John get captured. Corrin uh, allows himself sort of to be killed sure. uh, by, by John. Um, and then we don't really actually know what happens to Stone Snake. He's lost. And he, cli- he climbs up a mountain, and Mance Raider says, ah, it's too high, too high for us to climb. Right? It, wasn't, uh-huh. it wasn't worth the, the trip up there. And right. John, at one point, thinks about him and says, yeah, he, I think he's still out there. I and think that's he's kind still of out it. there. That's, that's kind of it. So, Yeah, exactly. And so he's one of those guys that when it comes to hard home and us going there, maybe at the end, at the end going into Winds of Winter and stuff, I've thought about Snow, 
stone snake. And you think about a snake, a dragon, snakes and dragons connections and stone and so on. You know, there, there's there's something uh, to all of that, even just being a loyal tar- Targaryen guy. And I am saying he is. I'm not I'm not. The reason I let, let me back up here. The reason that I say stone snake is kind of loyal that he could be this this loyalist is the time frame works out that these guys when they come to uh the the wall or they, or they take the black we, it's never really talked much about as to why they took the black and it's the proximity of squire dolbridge and the way in which they respect corin and they take orders from him and they don't flinch um they have great renown they just seemingly are men who are I don't know. It feels like they have have previous, um, like a like a previous allegiance to Corin Halfhand, and they follow him in in a way like they they take orders. Like when he tells, uh, I forget which one it is in the next chapter, to stand in the pass and to and to protect their their rear and to give them a chance to flee. It, there's no hesitation. There's no whatever. It's someone volunteers to die. They volunteer to turn around and face face wildlings, knowing that it's going to kill them. No struggle. No no kind of like. It's just it, this is this is the mission. This is the job. You know, you have to save John. You have to go back. It's for the watch. It's to guard the realms of men. It's whatever. And it just seems like there's a mili- an extra military layer or presence that goes beyond just what you have at your typical men of the night's watch and that's that's why they're they're so fascinating to me and i think stone snake is is going to be able to tell us maybe some of what happened uh back during the days of Rhaegar or maybe tower of joy or 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 so on i mean unless i'm wrong and there was more more information on when when he actually was sent to the wall and why he was sent there but all of that stuff is kind of left up you know, in the air and it's, it's a mystery. So I say, keep, keep an eye out on, on this guy and, and maybe we'll see him at hard home. Maybe he'll come back to castle black and uh, he might have a story or two to tell, you know? Wow. Uh, let me, if you, are, are you okay with me reading something? This is, yeah. So please. this is, this is uh, from the song of ice and fire wiki forum. Um, yeah. this doesn't ne- they, they don't, it's a good post just cause it makes some good connections, but it doesn't necessarily, they're not make, necessarily making a theory. They're just saying there's a lot of similar language, um, which we know Gur does some from time to time. Um, and he's saying this person is saying, um, I don't have much of an opinion on Stone Stake himself, but I've noticed strong connections between him and Maya. Uh, oh, sorry. There's some, some sort of ad that popped up. Maya Stone. Um, hmm. Wow. It's uh, saying... Um, Stone Snake calls the uh, the mountain mother, while Maya Maya refers to the mountain as father. They're both guides through mountainous passes, um, uh, and so hold on, let me uh, refresh this page. You know, you, sometimes as you just get an ad, and it just kind of it pops up. Cheesy gal, I mean, disturbance. You know, around. Song of Ice and Fire forum here. Okay, anyway, okay, perfect. <laughs> so. Anyway, so he's saying both Maya and John remember a long gone parent. There's a lot of veil imagery that surrounds Stone Snake. The scenery sounds like uh, the eerie. John hears shadow cats, um, and it was in the veil that Catelyn thinks sometimes she felt as her heart had turned to stone. Right? Uh, John says that the winds howl like a mother mourning all of her slain children, um, and they're saying there's a waterfall reminiscent of Alyssa's tears. So I'm uh, gonna kind of go here. So this is from this chapter. 
Um, soon they were high enough so that looking down was uh, best not considered. There was nothing below but yawning blackness, nothing above but moon and stars. The mountain is your mother, Stone Snake uh, had told him during an easier climb a few days past. Cling to her, press your face up against her teats, and she won't drop you. John had make a John had made a joke of it, saying how he'd always wondered who his mother was, but never thought to find her in the frost fangs. Uh, it did not seem nearly so amusing now. One step, another, then another, right? Because he's he's climbing. But keep in mind, uh, he did not think <clears throat> he would find her in the frost fangs, and then we literally get the story of Bale the Bard, which has a lot of similarities and connections potentially to his mother, if she is in fact uh, Lyanna Stark. So, uh, A Feast for Crows, Elaine 2. Um, Maya shook her head. I remember a man throwing me in the air when I was very little. He stands as tall as the sky, and he throws me up so high that it feels as though I'm flying. We're both laughing, laughing so much that I can hardly catch a breath, and finally I laugh so hard I wet myself. But that only makes him laugh the harder. I was uh, never afraid when he was throwing me. I knew that he would always be there to catch me, she pushed back her hair. Then one day, he wasn't. Men come and go, they lie or die or leave you. A mountain is not a man, though, and a stone is a mountain's daughter. I trust my father, and I trust my mules. I won't fall. So they're saying also in John uh, 6, um, the wind cut like a knife up here and shrilled the night like a mother mourning her slain children. Um, so, uh, here we go. Um, it says, uh, yet even so Jon Snow was not, uh, as sorry as he had come. There were wonders here as well. He had seen sunlight flashing on icy thin waterfalls as they plunged over the lips of sheer stone cliffs and a mountain meadow full of autumn windflowers, blue cold snaps and bright scarlet frost fires and stands of Piper's, gr uh, grass and russet and gold. He had peered down ravines so deep and black they seemed certain to end in some hell, and he had ridden his uh, garron over a wind-eaten bridge of natural stone with nothing but the sky to either side. Eagles nested uh, between in the heights and came down to hunt the valleys, circling effortlessly on great blue-gray wings that seemed almost part of the sky. Once he had watched a shadow cat stalk a ram flowing down the mountainside like liquid smoke until it was ready to pounce. Um, then in John, I don't know why they included that there, that they didn't highlight anything. Well, uh, Clash right, of Kings, yeah. John 7. I'm almost, almost done here with the connections. Mm -hmm. uh, a vast blue... So this is the next chapter. Uh, a vast... A vast blue-white wall plunged one end of the veil, squeezing between the mountains as if it had shouldered them aside. And for a moment, he thought he was—he had dreamed himself back to Castle Black. Then he realized he was looking at a river of ice several thousand feet high. Under that glittering cold cliff was a great lake, its deep cobalt waters reflecting the snow-capped peaks that ringed it. Um, so again, in a Game of Thrones, Catelyn Six, Cat links Maya Stone with John. 
Um, Maya Stone, if it please you, my lady, the girl said. It did not please her. It was an effort for Catelyn to keep the smile on her face. Stone was a bastard's name in the Vale, as Snow was in the North, and Flowers in the High Garden and each of the Seven Kingdoms' custom had fashioned a surname for children born with no names of their own. Catelyn had nothing against this girl, but she suddenly could not help think of Ned's bastard on the wall, and uh, the thought made her angry and guilty both at once. She struggled to find words for a reply. So this person's saying, I'm not necessarily saying that there's any connections, but it is just something interesting to kind of look at maybe these, these sort of connections that tie Maya stone with John, with some of the language in this chapter, as well as like mountain is your mother and finding your mother and Maya's thinking of her father. And mm-hmm. so it's kind of, it is kind of interesting just to, it's certainly nothing. I connections I've never looked at before. No, I, I think that's fascinating. The, what I draw from that is more of a connection between Maya Stone and the Vale and that mountain, that mountain region, and amplifying when you, when you want to connect that to the situation where John is reflecting on his mother and his bastardry and things like mm-hmm. that. There's there's a connection in like, and the idea that they're both air quote bastards, right? Or right. that they're yeah, and that's, they're both that's, thinking about their parent, their, their right, their, their parents. Right, at, at that time. Let me bring up an interesting connection for you, okay? And I wasn't, wasn't sure if I was going to go uh, how deep and sweaty we wanted to get here, but let's do it, all right? So there are, there is, there is, colors are important. Colors, eye color, hair color, the seed is strong, and so on. It's very important in A Song of Ice and Fire. There is one color mentioned in this, in this chapter in direct correlation to Stone, uh, Stone Snake that is kind of blows me away. Um, let, me, let me read a couple things. So this, this color is found eight times. You can search it in a, clash of, in, a, in, a, in a Clash of Kings. You'll only find it eight times. Seven times you will find it in a Daenerys chapter. Seven times you'll find it in a Daenerys chapter. And one time it's mentioned next to Stone Snake. Okay. So Targaryen connection here. So then that, that color is indigo, indigo. All right. So let me read. So a couple of these, um, just, just, just various things around, uh, around, around Danny, um, you know, and, and a lot of it's like, like, like some of it's when she's going in with, um, with the warlocks and different things. And some of it's just, you know, whatever. So it's, it's interesting. Take it, you know, whether it's purple or blue or whatever, whatever you want to think the color is. I mean, I don't even know what indigo really is. Right. But um, we have this famous quote, uh, Don and Corrin Halfhand arrived together. The black stones had turned to gray and the eastern sky had gone indigo when Stone Snake spied the rangers below um, winding their way upward. So now is that color, that one, you know, what is that? What, what, why throw the color indigo in there and, and why, you know, is it talking? Is it is it is it some 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 type of hint for Stone Snake, the other Rangers, for John? Who knows? It's just interesting. Uh, I'll read a couple of the Danny quotes. So, you know, let me see here. When um, the let's see, Black Wings buffeted her around the head, and a scream of fury cut the indigo air. This is again when she's in, indigo. Seems to be when she's in with the right um, with the warlocks, right? So she's making her way through the indigo murk. Um, let's see, a deep, ponderous throb of sound. Uh, each pulse sent a wash of indigo light when she's in there. 
Let's see. The man had her brother's hair, uh, but he was taller, and his eyes were a dark indigo rather than lilac. Aegon, he said to a woman nursing a newborn babe in a great wooden bed. What better name for a king? Now, that's the one where I was like, okay, at first I'm thinking, you know, indigo is just this murk and this haze and this, this, this color feature that's around uh, the undying ones or, it, or, you know, whatever. And then there's the connection to her brother. You know, that's, that's how, so they're all in Danny chapters where you have that indigo reference. And then we have a connection to her brother's um, hair. He's taller. His eyes were a dark indigo rather than lilac. We're looking for Rhaegar connections, are we not? I mean, right there, right there's one. I mean, that is a Rhaegar connection, a one color, one word situation that I just don't think you can ignore. And, um, you know, you could describe this guy a hundred different ways, man. You could have picked a, a, you know, tons of different words to, to indicate purple, blue, you know, type of color for the, the horizon. But they chose that color. And it's, you know, so it's true. Yeah. Yeah. Indigo. I, I had to pull it up here because I was like, is it more purple or is it more blue? Well, right. I mean, technically it's in the right. It's in the middle. Of it's blue in the middle. And violet. Right. Right. It is in the rainbow. OK. It's never <laughs> rainbow guard. All right. All right. Hey, 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 hey. You're right. It is. No, it is interesting, especially the fact that you said that it only shows up one time. Um, that's kind of like the Arbor Gold thing. Right. Where you have um the arbor gold wine that shows up in very specific situations and every time it does it means that there's some sort of betrayal going on or something like that it's it, the these things are literally the level at which he's writing which is why winds of winter is probably never coming out uh because he's like yeah. well, hold on i gotta make this connection this connection this connection right right yeah that level is is intense uh let me keep going here this just so you guys can get an idea of this one color i know it seems kind of crazy but um, in a dance of dragons, indigo is found once in a Danny chapter feast for crows, nothing right. Uh, storm of swords is found twice. Uh, game of thrones, indigo. The color is found. Let me take a quick search here four times. Um, most, uh, Danny chapter. This one's kind of spread out though. It is Catelyn, Sansa and Catelyn. And again, it's describing some clothing, uh, for cloaks and things like that. But with, but then the references for Danny and a Clash of Kings, Game of Thrones, Storm of Swords, and then a Dance with Dragons. It's it's overwhelmingly Danny, and then there's this one reference, and then and then again the reference to Rhaegar's eye color specifically, and then all the connections to Rhaegar surrounding Core and Halfhand, the Bale the Bard story, all of it. It's it's nuts. I mean, it's nuts. It is. So. No, yeah, you, no, you, yeah, you're a hundred, you're a hundred percent right. Um, it is nuts. All all of the connections uh, in this chapter. I mean, this is a chapter that gets referenced a lot. It's it's I, I think of it a lot like that brand chapter brand three in a Game of Thrones, because while the actual overall story of this chapter itself is like pretty straightforward, it's all the language that's used outside of it. It's it's one of those like handful of chapters that you can point to in almost any situation and be like, well, this is the chapter. This is one of this is one of those um, chapters. You know, it's right. also interesting, uh, and think about this, is it, with the Bale the Bard story that Egret tells here, um, ultimately we think of, well, you look at the Bale the Bard story, and what ends up 
killing him ultimate ult bail in the end as he refuses to kill his son it's kind of this tragic poetic story um and then we think of sort of Rhaegar with that story too well what happens in this is what something something that should be love right we think Rhaegar and Lyanna ends up creating this war and it's this tragic thing where maybe he dies and but John's the you know John is the heir that comes out of it and Ned has to lie but all of this stuff and it's a sort of tragic um story and it's all because of essentially maybe a mistake and that Rhaegar either kidnaps Lyanna or they run off and it's believed to be a kidnap or who knows we did that huge four-part breakdown mm -hmm. um on Hall, which I actually think is probably the most likely scenario in which the Mad King was after her and maybe he kind of does it to protect her and then it ends up you know the way that everyone hears it um, but at the end of this, John does something where he basically makes a mistake, really, uh, and that he won't kill Egret, and then it causes Corrin to get killed. I mean, yeah, all of the all of the things that happen here because of John's decision. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's yeah, it's a, it's an interesting yeah. I don't know to to, to think that yeah the the ramifications of this that's why i think stone snake being still alive because a lot of things end i think we think when we're reading the story for the first time you're reading through it thinking okay we're gonna get some answers here this guy there's some legit stuff going on with these guys they seem like they have a lot of knowledge the one thing about corn that's that's really interesting is he always talks about the old powers awakening again he talks about this with the old bear he mentions it to john uh they talk about it in relationship to his dire wolf so i think we kind of thought like oh yeah some stuff's going to be answered. And we do learn some things through John and through Ghost and so on. But then they're dead, you know? And we're just, like, cut off, like, where, where we think we're going to get more information and we really just, those guys are gone. But then there's this little tiny thread that's left out there in Stone Snake. And so I'm just hopeful that we're going to get more, you know, from him. But, uh, right. yeah. Yeah, you know, and then and then Corrin himself um, is just such an interesting character. I mean, obviously, one of the theories we talk a lot about is Corrin secretly somebody else. Um, and I think about that in the sense of because I, I, I was something I've been thinking of recently. You know, one of the, um, all of the wildlings are pretty. They know who Corrin Halfhand is because he is revered to be one of the best fighters, period. I mean, Corrin mm -hmm. Halfhand is described as being sort of like, oh, you don't want to mess with that guy. Right. Um, and so I guess I guess what it kind of comes down to is you think, well, the wild none of the wildlings are obviously trained by men at arms, but they do fight pretty much every day. I mean, they're fighting pretty on a pretty regular basis, whether it's against, you know, other animals or other wildlings or things like that i mean it's kind of you got to be tough in order to survive so is corn just that much better because corn is somebody who could have you know been training at, with certainly with the night's watch right mm -hmm. back in the day when there were at least it seems like more skilled guys in the night's watch or is it because he's beyond that level right i mean he's mm -hmm. like he mm -hmm. was maybe secretly Arthur Dane or secretly a knight or something like that, um, that would put him that much beyond other people's levels. Yeah. Well, the, the other thing is, yeah. I mean, how do you get that much? I mean, the whole, who, who was he beforehand is just 
mind-boggling. He was trained. He was highly trained. He's, he's, he's extremely renowned. And he actually, like you said, he loses half of his hand, and he trains himself with his other hand. It's all that connection foreshadowing to Jamie losing a hand, having to train with his other hand versus Ellen Payne and so on. So what do you, what'd you find? I see you grinning. What's well, you know, it's, it's also something, something I, I, I didn't even, this is, you know, the whole thing is, is, is we view him as, um, so ridiculous. Uh, it's, he, he arrives with Don, all of the correlations with Don, mm-hmm. uh, but there's specifically a line core and half hand tall, like a spear that's in the last John chapter. You know what I mean? And it's just like, well, spear is the sigil of unreal. Of how it is House Martell, not that he yeah. is a Martell, but sure. that sort of correlation, that, that region that yeah that makes you think of Dorne. Yeah, right? it does. Yeah, yeah. Well, and yeah, there these guys, their identity is all of it very, very, uh, very interesting. That the age at which they're born, why did they come here? Their training, the belief in the old gods and, and the old powers waking again. I, I just think. They're a fascinating group, and I kind of buy into to, to the fact that they were more than we realized. Even if they weren't like the big names like Sir Arthur Dane or whatever, they may have been people with other names from other houses that were loyal and that, that were around during Robert's Rebellion or Tower of Joy stuff and, and you know, kind of could tell us what's up. Well, I mean, the one right. guy who's, who's, who's still well, and maybe Maybe that's what happened. Maybe Arthur, maybe Helen Reed cuts off half of Corrin's hand maybe he just catches him with the right thing and that's and that's what causes yeah. him to lose half his hand and that's why Arthur Dane doesn't does live but doesn't continue on I mean yeah well and that's the thing there, there's a lot of stuff that's told to us like the story of him losing his his hand and the story of him fighting wildlings and stuff that stuff is all we could be lied to on, on all of that I mean something interesting with Corrin is he shows up to the camp and he like almost recognizes John right away you know and John obviously like I mean Corrin has this kind of, I don't know, it puts up this aura as he, as he comes in and John knows who he is. But, like, there's something about him that he, he you know, recognizes or seems to know Jon Snow. How is that? Why, why would that be? You know? Right. He also does appear in that, in that nightmare that John has, like, in A Dance of Dragons. Uh, he, he has that nightmare. Remember, like, a bunch of men of the Night's Watch are getting cut down. And yeah. Corrin is among them, so it's like people who've already died and things like that. But yeah. he is one of he is one of those people. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, man. I think, uh, yeah, cool connections. And the, the big one, I think, for a reread, and I think where we're where we're thinking, and you, you think about theories and and what more could come from it, is the the character who gets away, uh, and then all of these just the, the symbolic connections that you can make between different characters regions and colors and whatever else to characters prior to robert's rebellion to characters who are right now in this current war and and so on so and that mainly being mance and john and and these these guys who i think are i don't know i really i i wish there was more out there on them i wish more people did more uh because i love to find a good reddit theory on these guys and and look into who were they? How were they connected? Blood Raven's already gone by the time that they're like born. Most of them, like he's his disappearance has already right. happened. And um, yeah, the whole first wave of Targaryens who came, they, like the Raven's Teeth or whatever, whatever they're called, right? They they show the archers who come up with Blood Raven. So you had a whole batch of them already there, and then these guys, 
you know, who I think are connected to, to Targaryens show up there. And again, guys, I'm just saying that. I have, I mean, I really, besides Squire Dolbrich, don't really know, but. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. As well, uh, let's move on over to, we have a Raven today, correct? Uh, correct. We do. Let me pull it up here. And uh, this is from uh, John Ramshorn of the Mountain Ram Clan with his direwolf Nymeria. This is John Garcia. Thank you very much. Uh, here, here's the top more Targaryen stuff. All right. Targaryen bloodline situation. So, uh, hello, good sirs, uh, Ezra and Matt, the Southern Kneelers. After listening and thinking it o- thinking over my head, uh, your episode about the the book Fire and Blood about the beginnings of House Targaryen. I have a question for you both: Does keeping the Targaryen bloodline one hundred percent pure seem worth it? As we know, Targaryens view uh, that to keep their blood as pure Valyrian as they can, they practice incest. Uh, style in in marriage for example brother to sister or uncle to niece really anyone within the same generation of the family tree but does the negatives of interbreeding really justify it enough to be worth it at the end of the day looking at the show slash book targaryens have always married their own for a few reasons i can see one to keep their blood pure to be able to control dragons that were in their control at least in the first half of their overall reign of Westeros. Two, uh, they just perceive their family as being superior and no one else can match their status amongst other families. And three, since the family has the precedent of family marriage, siblings seem to really fall in love with each other and will marry willingly and even go against their parents' wishes uh, of other non-Targaryen uh, betrothals and instead marry their siblings due to the growing to growing up together and being in love uh, observing all I'm sorry ob- observing at all the damage uh, intermarrying siblings has caused upon the family and the realm for instance weaker offspring from the many generations of inbreeding especially women uh, or men not being very fertile for future generations the madness or loss of of sense and mental capacity that seems to strike at random. Or, uh, as the saying is, every time a new Targaryen is born, the gods toss the coin in the air and the world holds its breath to see how it will land. And of course, the other final negative to have intermarrying siblings is losing out on potential marriage alliances with other families and regions around Westeros. Aegon V Targaryen, uh, also known as Aegon the Unlikely, betrothed all of his children to other families to help solidify the Targaryen rule and prevent future civil wars, such as the Dance of Dragons. But his children rebelled and instead uh, abdicated or just married with married their siblings in secret anyway. Not having a wide net of marriage alliances most likely led to a future downfall because there were no blood relations to be called and held true to oaths in any other wars or in any future war wars. Was it really worth having a pure bloodline to keep control of dragons as the Targaryens had thought? Even during the Dance of Dragons, dragon seeds or low-born bastard children were able to become dragon riders. Uh, loyalty not being assured, though. And in the TV show, Jon Snow is able to connect a bit with Drogon 
and can definitely control Regal to ride into battle. Who knows in the books because we still don't know uh, John's future. Wouldn't it be better for only first cousins to be allowed to marry, which many Westeros already do? So no religious slash cultural problems there. And also it would help to reduce the madness or the insanity, uh, birth problems and strengthen alliances with more marriages. If cousins are getting married, one parent is still a Targaryen. So the bloodline is still kept up. But in the end, is a pure Targaryen bloodline worth all the negatives that come with it? Hope this makes sense. Uh, I just wanted to, uh, to hear you guys' thoughts on that. Thanks for listening from the True North uh, and that is John. So thank you, John. And it's an interesting question, my friend. It's interesting to think about the old Targaryens and their logic and their mindset behind uh, continuing to keep that bloodline pure. What was the reasoning behind it? You know, what's the what's the real reasoning behind it? And does that change over time? And should it have shifted after they lost the dragons? You know, I wonder if it ultimately has something to do with just the idea. I mean, there's a there's a there's a few ways to look at it. One, um, if you are keeping it essentially in the family, uh, let's let's say, then you even though there there are civil wars that happen between the Targaryens, you do limit the amount of claims that other people could have on the throne, right? Like mm -hmm. if you're constantly going out and outside and outside and outside, all it takes is one Targaryen to die. And then suddenly this new house is in charge because while well, they were married to it, like much like we see with Cersei, right? Kind of how the Lannisters ultimately end up sitting the throne because well, in the show, right? Because there's nobody else left to take it, and she's the only one there. Um, mm -hmm. So you do in that in that regard, you can you can certainly make that argument that at least it's going to be a Targaryen, and we can choose amongst ourselves. It's not like we have to worry about the Greyjoys and the Starks and the flow the the you know anybody any mm -hmm. of the Valerians, any of these other any of these other houses, um, which actually is somewhat kind of what happens in the dance and dragons right because it's alice at hightower uh who is the new queen that comes in instead of rhaenyra because they said we don't want a woman but are we going to go with an actual targaryen or are we going to go with this kind of line and that's some of the argument there um kind of some of the argument in the battle of the and the uh blackfire rebellion right mm -hmm. i mean by all accounts yeah. that one's even more interesting because Technically, he's a bastard, Damon Blackfire, but he's actually mm -hmm. a bastard of a Targaryen and a Targaryen mm -hmm. who he then legitimizes. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. and he may even be more legitimate than Darren because Darren yes. might actually be a bastard of Damon the, the, the Dragonite. So, yeah. who knows? Exactly. So, yeah. Um, at least you do certainly have that kind of. You can certainly make make that kind of argument. So, I think I think that's probably one part of it. Um. At least that was probably it initially, and then maybe it just got to this idea where, hey, we can keep the we the there's power. I'm sure you know there's there's obviously people thinking there's power in our bloodlines, mm -hmm. um, King's blood. I mean, obviously we see the ghost of Highheart and and Jenny of Oldstones come in, and they clearly as magi, magi maybe you know have some mm -hmm. sort of have some sort of influence uh, in these people, and right to tell them there's power and, and things like that. So. 
that I'm sure along the way there are people that influence them like that and sort of keeping the bloodline pure as well. And who knows after, I mean, in the time of Valyria falling and all of this stuff that anybody who has that Valyrian blood, what they think down going down the line. And then it just becomes the norm and then they just go with it. Yeah, oh, absolutely. So I, I, I guess I originally was thinking dragons, that's going to be your main you know, reason, right? Um, if there's power in that, perhaps uh, you, you would want to preserve it if you really believed that, that you could control dragons. And so therefore you wanted to ha- kind of have like this true pure line. But at some point they start dying out. And, you know, is that because the Targaryen bloodline was dying out? Or is that because maesters put them in, you know, close confined spaces or, or, or whatnot? You also have House Valerion, which they should have, they do marry into from time to time. That's That's another kind of, uh, Valeria freehold, you know, ancient house situation. So why not marry into that house a little bit more than they do? Maybe that would have that would have helped a bit. But yeah, it is kind of uh, you do run the risk of well, like you said. I mean, having other families get in there and, and being able to win the throne or, or yeah, not win the throne, but you know, like like you know, have have claims to. I know, to you, it. I know what you mean. Yeah, ha- yeah. Be, be closer and that's what everyone wants but again yeah the advantage as john was is pointing out to make a marriage alliance is is key it is it is kind of um important and yeah if you start to notice a bit of madness going on in your family you might want to kind of uh loosen it up a little bit you know what i mean kind of talk like you go a couple of generations where you keep i don't know you it's it's if it's a pretty pure bloodline and then one generation says let's go mix mix it up a little bit and then we'll come back it's, it's a crazy thing to kind of think about but but yeah that the only reason i could think you would really really keep it up and i think the main reason they did is because they thought there was power in it and they thought there was actual control of dragons you know uh there and then it turns as you said to the woods witch telling them that oh i prophesied one will come from this bloodline so we got to keep it even more you know, pure and, and stuff and, and hold true to these, to these ways. So, yeah, I, I don't, you know, there's actually, uh, Aegon the Conqueror, right? What was his name? Ors Baratheon? Is that, what was mm-hmm. that his name? Yes. And yep. isn't he, he a, that was his he hand a, of the king. Right. Isn't he a rumored bastard? Isn't he like a mm-hmm. bastard brother, possibly, possibly bastard brother mm-hmm. to Aegon himself? Yep. Like, and it's like, that's House Baratheon, right? You know, like that's, that's wild to, to, to think about. So, yeah yeah anyway no cool yeah. john yeah. yeah thanks man this this cool i like it i like i like thinking about it i don't really have you know the best answer for because it it's, it's it's a good question as to i i wonder if some of that will be talked about in house of the dragon if they'll, if they'll talk about the importance of keeping it you know strong if some of the conversation about allison hightower might be that she's not targaryen and then what does that do to the seed or to the bloodline you know so we'll see yeah, 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 we're gonna we're gonna see, and maybe it will be explained in House of the Dragon, which is gonna be awesome. So, all right, guys. Well, uh, with that, we want to thank you for playing the Game of Thrones. Uh, in our next episode, we will be covering Sansa Four of A Clash of Kings. If you like our podcast, don't forget to subscribe, like us, write a review, leave a comment, or send us a raven at btkcast at gmail Awesome. As always, guys, we want to thank you for listening and remember that winter is coming.